This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Good morning, Faith Family. I'm Pastor Jason. It is a pleasure to be bringing you the message this morning, although I would prefer if we were meeting together. However, that is not able to be happening right now. For the past several weeks, we have been working our way through the book of Philippians in a series titled Life in Christ. What does life in Christ look like? First, we saw that a life in Christ is a joyful life, but it is a joy in Christ. This isn't a temporary happiness, and it's not based upon our circumstances in any way, shape, or form, but rather in an assurance that we are found in the Lamb's book of life, that we are in Christ, that He is our master, that He is in control. We also saw that part of being joyful in Christ includes sanctification, big word, but that basically just means becoming more like Christ. We are setting our minds on Christ. We are striving to be more like Christ, not in our own power. We cannot do it. If we could do it, there would have been no need for Christ to have sacrificed himself. No, we rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. We trust the Holy Spirit to work in us, to work through us. Our role in our sanctification is simply to get out of the way, to constantly and consciously subsume our selfish wills, our selfish desires, our fleshly urges to the mind of Christ. As we live our lives in Christ, we need to be passionate about the gospel, passionate about spreading the gospel, sharing the gospel. Gospel means good news. And what news could be better than life, than eternal life? If you're in a burning building, there is no better news than to be shown the means of escape. And that is what the gospel is about. I don't think any of us would argue with the notion, with the analogy of our world being on fire. Jesus Christ is our anchor, our rock, is our gospel, is our good news. We also saw that to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul urged his readers in Philippi to live for the glory of Christ. Paul said that everything that he had done in his past was worthless, and that if he were to have to pour out his life, to end his life, to sacrifice his life for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, then that would be gain. You see, we are struggling through this world. We are experiencing trials. We are experiencing pain. But this will not always be. We have a hope. We have a future. We have a promise. Now, we are also called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. This does not mean that we're trying to earn salvation in any way, shape, or form. No, but we take this Christ-following very seriously. We cannot be flippant about this. This is not just getting our get-out-of-hell-free card. 
Followers of Christ take discipleship and discipline very, very seriously. There is no such thing as coasting in neutral in the life of a believer. We saw Christ's humility exemplified for us. And if truth be told, I think we could all do with a little bit more humility. I'll be talking a little bit more about that today. And salvation is not by anything that we have done. There is nothing that we can do to earn salvation, but it is a free gift of God. It is all based upon the work of Christ, what He has done. And then last week, Pastor Adam shared with us that Paul, forgetting the past, forgetting all the stuff that he had done in the past, was pressing on daily toward that for which Christ laid hold of him. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. First and foremost, we need to have our minds altered, changed, transformed, and to be having the minds of Christ. And we're going to continue following up with that idea today. But before we do anything else, I want us to pray. Before we dive into the Scriptures and see what God has for us today, I want us to pray. So if you would, close your eyes and pray with me. Father, thank you. Even and especially during these difficult times of uncertainty, with pandemics and protests, racial hatreds and riots, thank you for loving us more than we love ourselves, more than we can possibly imagine. It seems that the passages we're going to be looking at in your word today are most apropos now at this time. Thank you that in your sovereignty, you knew that we were going to need to hear this. You knew what instruction we were going to need from you. Thank you for your wisdom, your grace, and your mercy. Please give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to receive and apply your word to our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Alrighty, well, we're taking a look at the book of Philippians, chapter 4, and we'll start here in verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and read all of chapter 4 because it is a contiguous whole, but we're only going to cover the first several verses today, and then we'll cover the last half or the last part of chapter 4 next week. So Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your con- you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The word of the Lord. Now, we're going to focus, as I mentioned, on the first few verses today. So let's take a look here at chapter 4, verse 1. It begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, my brothers. Therefore. You know, if you haven't heard it before, you're going to hear it now. Whenever you see the word, therefore, you need to ask yourself, what's it there for? Verse 1 here transitions from and connects chapter 3, verses 17 through 21 to chapter 4. So in chapter 3, starting in verse 17, as a reminder of what we read last week, Paul writes this, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and, their gl- and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Keep your eyes on those who walk well, 
Paul is telling his readers in Philippi. That's not bad advice for us as well. Keep our eyes on those whose faith is firm and solid. I have many heroes of the faith, men and women that I look to as examples of how to run the race well. For example, C.H. Spurgeon, who is sometimes called the Prince of Preachers. I love him not for his amazing theology, but because even though he suffered from debilitating depression, depression so deep and dark that some days he could not get out of bed, he continued to press on. He continued to stand firm. He suffered clinical, chronic depression. And yet, his faith was strong. So keep our eyes on those who walk well. Paul says that there are many who used to be with us. Many now walk as enemies of the cross. I'm sure many of us have people that we knew or know who used to be or seemed to be sold out followers of Jesus Christ, and yet now their walk is anything but. This is a shame. It is a tragedy. There are many who now walk as enemies of the cross, and he tells, he says, I tell you with tears, their end is destruction. They weren't true believers. Their end is destruction. Their belly is their God. They don't serve Yahweh. They don't serve Christ. They serve their own passions. Their thinking is earthly. They glory in their shame. They revel in their debauchery. Their minds are on earthly things. They are selfish. I don't think upon my friends and family who have fallen away from the faith with joy. I pray for them. And when God provides me an opportunity to breathe grace into their life, I attempt to do so because I know that their end is destruction, and I do not want that. But Paul tells his readers, our citizenship is in heaven. Pastor Adam mentioned that last week. You know, here in the West, especially here in the United States, I think sometimes we conflate these things. We're so caught up in our rights as American citizens, and we're so caught up in being patriotic citizens of the United States, sometimes at the expense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, our first allegiance is to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters. The first time I had a friend of mine from Uganda, Ugandan pastor, visit me here in the States, he came into the sanctuary and he noticed an American flag in the sanctuary, and he found that incredibly odd. And he's not the only one. Our brothers and sisters from around the world find it odd that we would put our nation's flag in God's house of worship. That is an odd thing. 
Where's our allegiance? Paul tells his readers that we await a Savior. And here is part of the promise. We will be transformed. You see, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And we await a Savior who will return and will transform us. So we are to stand firm. It is worth the wait. This transformation into something new, into something different, into something other is well worth the wait. We are to keep our eyes on those who have gone before us who run the race well. We are not to follow the examples of those who fall away. We are to remember constantly that we serve a living God and we are His subjects, citizens of His kingdom, that Christ will return, that we will be renewed, and it is worth the wait. It is worth the anguish and the suffering that we are going through. Therefore, we get now, get, now get into chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, my family, the ones that I long for, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm by our own power? Be good enough? No. We can't do it. Stand firm in the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. Set our minds on the things of Christ. Stand firm. And he, then he ends that passage, chapter, verse 1. Stand firm, my beloved. He reiterates. Faith, family. Adam and I say that all the time. Faith, family. We are family. Now, speaking of family... I don't know about you and your household, but in our household, siblings don't always get along. Yeah, I don't want to elaborate on that any further. Without, I'd have to start calling out names, and that wouldn't be a good thing. But siblings don't always get along. I know that my sister and I, we didn't always get along. And truth be told, I was, I was usually the antagonist in the situation. But that doesn't mean that we're less beloved. Now, because... Now, not because, but... In that, yeah, families, we don't always get along. We hit verse 2 where Paul now entreats two women, Eudia and Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Get along. Set aside this quarrel, this argument, whatever it is. Get along. He says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. These women worked with Paul. They are saved. They are missionaries. They are ministers. They are working for the kingdom of God, and yet there is a struggle between them. They have a disagreement of some kind, and we are not told what that is, and so therefore it is not important. What is important is, this is obvious, this, we can infer from the passage, this is not a salvific matter, not a doctrinal issue of any weight. Agree in the Lord. Paul isn't a dreamer. He's not just saying, okay, let's all just get along now. He's not speaking or writing from an ivory tower. You see, Paul has experienced broken relationships due to selfishness, due to a myopic view of our calling and our mission. 
In Acts chapter 9, we're told of Paul's conversion. He was a persecutor of the church. And he was on his way to persecute more Christians, to arrest them, to bring them in chains to Jerusalem when he met Christ on the road. Or rather, I should say, when Christ met him. And Christ blasted into Paul's life, and Paul had a radical conversion. And where he went to Damascus to persecute believers, he now started to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. After serving or working in Damascus for a while, a plot was hatched to kill him. And so the believers in Damascus got him out of there. And he went to Jerusalem. But oddly enough, none of the believers in Jerusalem wanted anything to do with this former murderer of Christians. I don't know why. But there was this one man. His name was Barnabas. And he dared to meet this murderer of Christians. To hear his story. And then Barnabas vouched for Paul. And from that moment on, Paul and Barnabas became close friends. They ended up in Antioch, serving in, in, in Antioch together. And it was Paul and Barnabas that were commissioned by the Holy Spirit to go on the, what we call the first missionary journey. And they took with them a young man named John Mark. In Scripture, sometimes he's called John, sometimes he's called Mark, sometimes he's called John Mark. But this is the guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark. But something happened not too long into their journey, and John Mark bails on them. He does not complete the journey. Well, this soured John Mark in Paul's mind. So after that journey, and they're getting ready to go on their second missionary journey, and they're making their plans, Barnabas wanted to give John Mark another chance. And Paul would have nothing to do with that. He was not going to take John Mark with him on his second journey. He bailed on them the first time around. He wasn't going to give him a chance to bail on him again. And this disagreement between these two got so extreme, it split their partnership. Barnabas took John Mark on a journey, and Paul took Silas. And they went different ways. But that's not the end of the story. You see, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, send John Mark to me because he is useful. Somewhere between Acts chapter 15 and 2 Timothy chapter 4, there was a repentance on Paul's side and a reconciliation between he and John Mark. So much so that now, John, now Paul is saying, send John Mark to me. He's asking that this guy that he at first didn't even want to be with him, didn't want to take with him, he's now asking him to be sent to him. Paul knows what the work of Christ in our hearts and minds can accomplish because he's seen it happen in his own life. He knows that enemies can become friends, that friends can split apart because of selfishness, and they can reunite because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It happened to him. So he's writing and preaching from a position of power and knowledge. He knows it can happen. 
But that doesn't mean that Paul is saying there's nothing worth fighting for, nothing worth contending for. He's not saying we just brush everything under the rug and pretend that everything's okay. Brothers and sisters, sometimes there are doctrinal issues which we must contend for. We can't just say, well, let's agree to disagree and still call each other brothers. I'm just going to ignore this. It's not that big of a deal. No, there are some things that are worth fighting for. How do we know this? Well, because he tells us in Galatians chapter 2 about the time when he was in Antioch and Peter had come to Antioch. And Peter had been eating with the Gentiles, the non-Jews during that time. But when other Jewish believers came up from Jerusalem, Peter began to pull away from the Gentile followers of Christ. And Paul stood up to his face in public and called him out on that because Peter was in the wrong. And we know from Scripture that there was a reconciliation there as well because, again, the Holy Spirit convicted Peter again. And Peter repented. So there are things that we must stand for. The key to knowing the difference is by having our minds on Christ. You see, agreeing in the Lord is hard. It is difficult. It is costly. It costs us our pride. It costs us our selfishness. It costs us our comfort. And that, brothers and sisters, faith family, that is why Paul entreats the Christians around them to help these women. I also ask you, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me. Help them. We're supposed to be involved in each other's lives. We're supposed to get in each other's business. We're supposed to help each other. And then he immediately goes into this next passage, and it's not a sudden shift. It's a continuation of the same thought. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Now, any of us who are parents, teachers, children, whatever, when somebody repeats something, that usually means they're trying to drive home their part, right? their point, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. In the midst of this struggle, in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this disagreement, rejoice. Rejoice that we serve a Jesus that can heal. Rejoice that we serve a risen Lord that has defeated sin and death. Yes, even our own selfishness has been crucified. Rejoice that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that we can call upon to help us set aside our ideas, set aside our notions, set aside our preferences and proclivities and see the other. Rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's talking about nothing less than full surrender to Jesus Christ. Help these women get along to work out whatever disagreement they have. The Holy Spirit can empower you to do this, can empower them to agree. Just as the Holy Spirit gave Paul the ability to repent and be reconciled to John Mark, 
Just as the Holy Spirit convicted Peter of his sin, gave Paul the courage to stand up to the leader of the apostles, and convicted Peter of his sin, and they reconciled, so too the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives can cause us to act reasonably and to not be anxious about anything not to be anxious about turmoil in the church, not to be anxious about COVID-19, not to be anxious about riots and racism. I'm not saying we ignore it. No, that is something we stand against. As image bearers of God Almighty, we all have value. And we must stand with the oppressed. But we do not do so anxiously. Because we serve God Almighty. We serve Jesus Christ in everything with prayer and petitions, with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that you are in control. Thank you that you see every hurt, every pain, that you see my hurt feelings, those who I think have wronged me, reveal to me those whom I have wronged, convict me of my sin and help me to go to them and beg their forgiveness. We have to come at this humbly, just as Pastor Adam preached several weeks back. Just as Christ came humbly, we must come humbly. We must subsume our wills to Him. You see, This promise that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, is based upon that first part. In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Come to God with all of your concerns and your cares. Have the mind of Christ. Trust Him in all things. Surrender your will to His. That peace that passes understanding, has that been lacking in your life? I confess that it frequently is lacking in mine. And that's because I have not yet mastered having my mind totally surrendered to Christ. When I'm anxious and I'm worried, whether it's over my children, my job, whatever. When I'm anxious and I'm worried, I'm not thinking with the mind of Christ. And I need to do so. Brothers and sisters, this is not something that we are naturally able to do. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it requires us clinging to each other, helping each other. Just as Paul tells the church there to help Judea and Syntyche, we must help each other. And that means we must reach out to each other. Especially during this time when we are separated because of COVID-19 and we cannot join together, it is imperative that we reach out to one another if we are in need of anything. Please do not let pride give you grief and misery. 
if you are in need, even just need someone to talk to, reach out to us, to Pastor Adam, to myself, to one of the deacons, to just somebody else in the church. If you need help with something, please let us know. And also keep in mind and keep an eye out for those whom you can reach out to. Those whom you can help. Because even if you're not physically able to do much, you can be a listening ear. You can be someone who prays. And lastly, as we continue through life, as we continue to walk this journey, let us pray together. Let us listen to each other. And let us set aside our selfishness to have the mind of Christ and commit to agree in the Lord. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that you are gracious and merciful, that you love us more than we could possibly imagine. We thank you that you are sovereign, that you are supreme, that you are still in control of all things. God Almighty, please help us to surrender to you. Please help us to subsume ourselves, to give ourselves wholly to you, that your peace, which does indeed pass understanding, will be with us in Christ Jesus. That those who look at us and see us going around not ignorantly, but with peace and joy because of you, we'll see that there's a difference and we'll long for that. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for what you've done through us, through your son, Jesus Christ, what you've done for us, what you continue to do through us. Thank you. May we serve you and to have our minds set on you. In your name. Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. Leewood Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Thank you.